From multiple depicted locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are games and other media and online play. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Hello! I don't know why I'm saying hello, but hi! Hey, Steven. How's it going? <laughs> How Welcome to the podcast, Steven. It's pretty good. How are you? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Mark, you were, on a, you were on a PAX panel recently, yes? I was on a PAX panel recently. Um, uh, PAX was a nine-day online event across three Twitch channels this year, and uh, I was part of a panel uh, called Lovely or Lethal. Will these animals oh. cuddle me or kill me? Uh, which is a very provocative title. Mm. And it's just about animals in video games, how they're depicted, uh, sort of narratively, mechanically. Um, and uh, it, it took the form, this panel took the form of little mini talks. So each of us oh. who was part of the panel prepared 10 minutes and, and re- pre-recorded them, stitched them together in a little sort of anthology uh, talk, which is a really cool format. Um, and it, uh, the talk featured some previous guests on this show and um, they each had a little thing, interesting thing to say at a totally different angle from their different backgrounds. And I talked a little bit about Widget Satchel and our approach to bringing a ferret main character into a game. And the, the, the big sort of like angle I had on it was this notion of how uh, Sprocket is a pet ferret, not a Sonic the Hedgehog, right? So like mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog is like too cool to be anyone. Like it's just, it's just a, a human in an animal costume. And a lot of vi- yeah. video game animals are like that. And then sometimes video game animals are like animal simulators. So even though they're not realistic, a game like Untitled Goose Game or Goat Simulator are actual mm-hmm. like simulation games. You're meant to be that animal. Um, yeah. like at, even though it's an imagined crazy experience, but with Sprocket, Sprocket's neither of those things. Sprocket was, uh, somebody's pet. And so, um, the player's motivations in getting Sprocket to the shuttle bay is different from Sprocket's motivations to get to the shuttle bay. And so I talked a little mm-hmm. bit about how that works and how I think we can do a lot more with that idea in games and, and how we expressed it, uh, with an animal. So that was a really fun thing. Mm-hmm. So that's just a mini little version of my 10 minute piece of a hour long uh, PAX panel. Uh, and it's on YouTube now, because um, by the time you hear this episode, the, the PAX has been over for a bit now. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes so you can check that out as well uh, and see the whole talk and see all the other stuff that happened at PAX. Uh, because this year's PAX had like tons and tons of stuff um, compared to a, a normal <laughs> yeah. PAX because it was easier to get people from all over the world. And so it was just nine days, 24 hours on three Twitch channels, of just mm-hmm. tons of content. Um, and so, uh, by that token is how I was able to squeeze in there <laughs> and give a talk. <laughs> we just had a whole episode on imposter syndrome, but, uh, that's me expressing it is I don't know that I would be able to get on a PAX panel if it wasn't in these uh, unusual circumstances, um, which is something else that we want to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, the pandemic is still happening. Uh-huh. Is still it just, sucks. This is just our check-in. Yeah. Yeah. How, how's, how's that going? That's why I said hello. Yeah. I don't know how y'all are doing. <laughs> Well, because it's it's like we used to record these episodes in person, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not doing that anymore. It's weird because the last the last time we recorded in person was was just before Ellen joined us. Yeah. yeah. And and so basically, we sort of promised you this amazing experience of hanging out with us, getting lunch on our recording times, and uh, talking face to face with interesting folks who are around the table with us. And nope, that's not how we do the show now. 
<laughs> That's not how we do the show now. Yeah. I mean, I did get, I did, I did have had the chance to experience the full nice games club, you know, guest host. Yes. Shebang. Yeah. We you know long before. Um, long time listeners know that Ellen uh, joined us long before she joined us. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was a guest sometimes. <laughs> um, and they, you guys did buy me food and it was awesome. <laughs> but now, now I have a Sunday tradition of getting myself junk food on the way over. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that. Uh, you're not Steve and I are recording from our homes, but you have mm-hmm. a you have a little uh, hideaway that you're able to record uh, from. That's a little bit more li- have fewer dogs than where you normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I am able to go into the office, which is feeling more and more alien each time I do it. Mm. Um, not because it's changing, just because it's been so long since I've done any work from here. Right. Um, so I just grab a conference room and set up a laptop and a mic and do the recording from here. That way my dogs can bark and I don't have to be mad at them. And my husband can play trumpet and I don't have to be mad at him. It works so much better this way. Yeah. So we'll see. And I hope, you know, everything's so up in the air right now because of the stupid pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully yeah, this arrangement is able to stick until we're able to record in person again. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. Is it weird to be in your office only when nobody else is there and to not do your day job yes. at your office? Uh, it was, but now for like since March, basically, this yeah. is the only reason I've come into the office is to record <laughs> Nice Games Club. <laughs> so now it's it'd be weird to like do. I think there were a couple of days in there where I tried working at coming in and working at my standing desk because the company policy right now is if you want to come in, you can, mm-hmm. but no one wants to right. because it, there's only certain benefits, the, the limited benefits. The benefits of being in person to do work aren't there unless your whole team is there. Yeah. Yep. So if the whole team is there, then no one's there. And that means no one's here. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I miss my office so much. Yeah. You've talked yeah. about this on the shows before, Stephen, but it's been a little while since we've checked in on, yeah. on your feelings of it. Is it any better, any worse? Um, I I don't think that it's worse. I just think that it hasn't improved at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to be more uh willing to go outside of my apartment <laughs> yeah because i think i've been like paranoid from leaving my apartment for a while so like i've been attempting to leave more frequently yeah. and stuff. you mean like taking walks Safely, or yeah i like taking walks and stuff mm-hmm. um i would like to do more social things because i i'm realizing more and more that like uh part of me is social and needs some needs in-person interaction more frequently and like us playing online and stuff has been great but i mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't it doesn't scratch all the yeah it doesn't fill all mm-hmm. the, the um, gap there um, yeah. So yeah, longtime listeners know we we did start doing this before the pandemic. We were playing, we play games together on on the weekends. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, us here in the clubhouse, and then other friends of ours. And yeah, that has yeah. been like it's it's it was always tough to get it's always tough to get friends again for a weekly thing. Anyone who runs a D and D game knows this. But now it's a little easier because everyone's anxious to have to have these spaces and these these times. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and setting them up ad hoc is actually quite difficult. Um, so mm-hmm. having a regular, uh, setup is, is usually a lot more. So Steven, you're looking yeah. for more opportunities during the week to, for these kinds of things. Well, I, I'm, yeah. Or just like s- safe ways where I can interact with people like in person. Yeah. Yeah. In person thing that I'm missing a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. Like people hanging out um, at the end of the driveway or whatever. Some people have been doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The people have they've come up with strategies for stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah. I um, I'm not I have been like I, I live by myself. So I've been isolating myself a lot. And yeah. um, 
Well, but I the reason I say that is because like I haven't looked into what is safe. Like I've just heard from people that this is all these are good, these are bad, but I have I need to do this yeah. myself. So uh, I'm I mean, gonna be looking into that some and then I mean be safe about pri- it. But you know, off mic, Steven, you know my my yeah. my view is I, I think that people are taking too many chances. Um sure. but and and ultimately everyone does need to decide for themselves. But the frustrating thing, um, for listeners who are also having this kind of struggle of like, how do I be safe? is the truth is, is none of us know. And the sad, the the disappointing thing is that we don't have a lot of authority to look to, to tell us what's safe. Um, In the early days, we needed instructions. We needed do this. This is what you need to do Mm -hmm. that we all needed to blindly Mm -hmm. follow. And we didn't get that, right? And people know why. And now we need guidelines. We need, this is what makes sense. This is, we need, and the thing was, is what was supposed to happen between the instructions and the guidelines was research, was yeah. was uh, social scientists, was people in government, people who could then come up with these things. Like, well, now, I mean, we started this thing off where everyone's like, don't touch a doorknob, right? It's You don't need a, mm-hmm. uh, masks are, are not important or not as important. Uh, washing your hands for 20 seconds is important. But we know a little more now. We know that it's actually, the masks are more important and you should yeah. still be washing your hands and you should still be like, you know, avoiding uh, contact with 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 uh, unfamiliar spaces, but that's not as much of the of the threat as it was once seen. And don't take me as any guideline onto what that means. But yeah, we we need people to tell us how to interpret that information. And what's happening is we're all doing it for ourselves. And then folklore emerges, where yeah. where people just generally because they've a couple people figured it out or think they figured out uh, something. And they told their friends and they told their friends. And because this is a, a numbers game, you could be very irresponsible and it's quite likely you'll never get COVID, right? But that's, yeah. not, that's not the point, right? The point is, is that you're rolling the dice every time. And so the question is, is like, when, like about kids going back to school, it, when is it, if we're going to roll the dice, let's roll it as few times as possible. Let's make sure we do it for important reasons. And some, yeah. maybe those important reasons are the fact that you're going to go stir crazy. Like that's, but, mm-hmm. and it's really hard for a, make a personal judgment, but that's all we've been given to do. So Stephen, yeah. like you were saying that, that, you know, you don't know what's safe and what you hear is safe is folklore. And that's, yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. why, that's why I want to look into it yeah. myself. Like yeah, I don't yeah. want to like, just assume just cause somebody was like, oh yeah, you can go to bars and safe. I don't know <laughs> that for sure. Yeah. I need to make that. I need to learn information and then make a judgment call for myself. Yeah. And it, like it, no matter what I do, it's going to be some form of a risk. I just need to accept those risks. Right, right. And ultimately, if I, if I make that decision. Yeah. And ultimately, it's an it's it's an incredible burden on you to have to do yeah. that research yourself because you're not equipped for it. And the, and the oh. research and I don't mean you in particular. I mean, you as oh, an individual yeah, yeah, actor but are I mean, not. A, and it's just not yeah. fair. It's not fair that you have mm-hmm. to do that. But yeah. you're right. That's the only it's the only thing you can do now. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've talked about pandemics that I, I for listeners who are maybe bored of this topic or frustrated by this topic. It's important we address it from time to time. But I feel very strongly that like it's very easy for us to lose or forget the fact that we are all that the sort of collective spirit that we had in March and April as we were trying to figure out how to make this work. We're all <laughs> suffering now. And the, yeah. the the truth of it is a lot of us are trying to find ways to get around the suffering. But uh, like my feeling is that we have to continue suffering like that's that is the price we need to pay but i don't know i don't have the guidelines uh, as to what's yeah. safe like i'm being i'm being yeah. fairly um you know i have Im- immunodeficiency issues so like i have particular motivation to be a little bit more cautious um but i don't i don't know that that's right when it comes to people's mental health like 
it, where's that balance? Like uh, it's, and, and so I'm not, I don't have any answers, but it, it does. Yeah. When I, when I do hear people talk about like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I quarantined myself for, uh, or I didn't go outside for a couple of days. So now I'm going to go uh, camping with friends or whatever. And like, they didn't talk to anyone for a couple days. I'm like, okay, I guess, but like, that still feels really scary to me. And I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's very disappointing because we, we did need that. We need to trust the authorities to be able to tell us yeah. first what to do and then, um, you know, how to make the choices for ourselves so that we would feel <clears throat> responsible. And I don't think we're getting that from anyone. Yeah. And that's really disappointing. Um, well, how I'm checking in with you, Mark. Yeah. How have you been? Um, well, we talked before about how, like, I'm a work from home person. So I've done okay by that mm -hmm. score. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's keeping on. The thing that's actually been getting me is that I, uh, like, um, physically, um, like, I, I used to go out in the sense that I would, I, I used to ride my bike a lot and I would, I would, right. I'd, I'd go out on errands and for food. And I'm really very much more in a way that I don't really appreciate or understand as much. It, it, my life is quite a bit more different than I think it is, is kind of what yeah. I'm getting at. And so like, mm -hmm. I have, you know, I have more physical pains, um, like, uh, my, my diabetes, I have to manage that. And, yeah. um, when I'm, when, when I'm outside the line on managing that, which is sort of a constant everyday thing, uh, I, I have, I have physical uh, problems and those are a little bit more acute now. Um, yeah. and they happen slightly more frequently. And so that's the, uh, I mean, I just went on about how like we have to accept the suffering. And so that's kind of what I've done. And so part of me is a little bit like upset that, uh, cause it's, it's very clear to me, like, um, that because there's not much I can do about it. Like a, a solution to it would be just to go back to my old routine and there isn't really any yeah. other solution to it. Um, but I, I yeah. do need to, Stephen, like you, I need to get out a little bit more. I need to take my bike out uh, um, for no reason, which is hard for me. I need to have a reason. Um, I know, me too. <laughs> I, I need to come up with new habits. Um, and, and so that I haven't done enough of that work um, because it was, it's not difficult for me to stay at home um, or I didn't yeah. think it was. So that's the, that's, that's what's getting me uh, down right now. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I felt that some too because I haven't, like I said, I haven't been as physically active as I had in the past. Yeah, I used yeah. to walk a decent amount. Well, not decent, yeah. but like I would walk some and take the train and stuff to get to work mm -hmm. and things. So, yeah, just don't do that as much. I've heard people talk about how like they've taken up exercise routines and they have they've still gained weight. Like, yeah, it, I've been working out with Dale. That's yeah, fun. yeah, that she yeah. she really enjoys that. Um, yeah, I like that too. Yeah, but it's interesting because like we um the line from A to B isn't so obvious. Like, cause we, I don't think any of us know how much things have changed for us. Uh, yeah. we're, we're human beings. So we naturally adapt, but we're not keeping track of it all. And so it is, right. I, I, I do see it on Twitter. A lot people say like, I've, I really took this time to myself to really get in shape. And how am I 10 pounds more? Like, it's like, well, because other things changed, right? It wasn't that you yeah. just started an exercise routine. Um, yeah. you know, we don't have, there's no way to put a button on this topic. It's ongoing. Right. Um, yeah. right. but hope, hopefully this gives, listeners who have been feeling their own individual experiences um some context as to how how we're handling it yeah and we'll check in again at some point oh yeah because yeah. this isn't gonna end soon sadly right yeah. i'm gonna put air quotes around my handling it yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay positive news let's go yeah hype stuff fun thing <laughs> ellen what's the next topic you know, we picked these topics ahead of time and I brought this one up because I just thought there was going to be so much to talk about. And then the topic was games and other media. So like, how are games depicted in 
um, in literature and movies and what's like, how does this intersect with these different types of media and these different art forms? And I realized we are not a critic. We're not a critiquing podcast. We're not <laughs> yeah. a games criticism podcast. We are a games development podcast. So I had to kind of spin it a little bit and try to you know, bring it back to, well, what does that mean for game developers? And, you know, is that something worth exploring? And I thought, yeah, it was still worth exploring because um, I think that, you know, as we'll talk about it, there's a lot of examples of kind of media that's drawing from games and media that's depicting games and games that's bringing other things, you know, these things are blending and they will continue to blend because that's just the nature of art. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought, you know, it might be good to start with a few examples of what we've experienced in recent times. Um, and then maybe talk a little bit about what the implications are for developers and where things might be headed next. Yeah. So, um, with that, I wanted to start by just kind of listing out just a bunch of examples and, and kind of talking a little bit about what we remember about games um, being depicted in different forms of um, entertainment and art. Yeah. So starting with literature, like I think one of the ones that just popped to my mind immediately was Quidditch. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Right. And OK, it's not a, it's not a video game. Um, there are Harry Potter video games. And that's another interesting facet to this conversation is that like books get made into video games but sometimes those books also depict games that are then made into games and quidditch is one of them mm -hmm. yeah um right there's like yeah. there's a whole college intramural league right yeah it's ridiculous yeah. It's <laughs> i planted my flag in this topic like <laughs> it's super silly but you know what yeah. if you just if you broke it down and described like any other field sport yeah with just the mechanics, uh -huh. it would totally sound silly as well. <laughs> Maybe not quite as silly as they have a broom. Yeah. And they're running with the broom. That's the part that gets me is like, you <laughs> you could, by the real world rules of Quidditch, like, they don't require the broom. That's just a, that's a, just a hazard. <laughs> it's just a, yeah. a stick they're waving around. Someone's going to lose an eye. They want to be wizards though, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, uh, not to bring it back down again, but I wonder if uh, recent uh, news has made it less exciting to want to be a wizard in the wizarding world of Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming we were talking about J.K. Rowling being... Yes, mm -hmm. uh, the transphobic yeah. comments, and it's like... Yeah. Uh, I, it's a sad thing for people who love that franchise, because they have to come yeah. to terms with what it means to them to continue to be fans. And I suppose that's true for people who are super into Quidditch as a real thing, because it's a real thing now. Mm -hmm. At the, U, at the U, like they had a Quidditch. I think it mm -hmm. was a club. I don't think it was literally like they. Uh, yeah, the, N the NCAA is, is not like, putting no. up money for <laughs> it yet. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, are there other examples like that? Yeah, there actually are quite a few. So um, also in authors that disappoint me, um, <laughs> Orson Scott Cars Ender's, Orson Scott Cards Ender's Game. Oh, um, okay, sure. Which is interesting because it is Ender's Game. Personally, I'd classify it more as Ender's simulation, but uh, <laughs> it, you know, the entire, if you haven't read the book, it's a great book. Mm -hmm. Not a, that author is. Yeah, it? yeah. It's, it, there's yeah. A, it's a whole category of literature now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But there are, of course, there are like lots of them, right? So, and I think you'll find a lot of these in like fantasy, in fantasy or sci-fi, yes, right? Yes. So these, these games are written into the stories to kind of, um, set up the like an Ender's Game to set up the dynamics of the plot overall, mm -hmm. um, and then also I think to kind of convey um, the the level of skill or the type of mind that some of the main characters have. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's true for Ender's Game. That's true for Harry Potter. Um, there's also, uh, if you are familiar with Brent Weeks, the fantasy series, his Lightbringer series, um, has a really crazy detailed description of a card game that he kind of invented. That's like sort of poker, sort of bridge, sort of tarot called Nine Kings. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the way that he uses it is like as a means for two characters to interact and develop and get insight into their um to their inner workings through the way that they play the game oh interesting so that's pretty cool there's been literature that's used chess for that purpose where chess becomes Mm -hmm. part of the setting of a a piece of of fiction in order to reveal things about characters but in a fantasy Mm -hmm. or science fiction universe you'd want to have something develop something unique but that gives you the opportunity to develop something specifically geared towards the story you want to tell right 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 um but you mentioned chess. I'm thinking of that one West Wing episode where um, President Bartlett's like playing five or six games of chess with different people all over the West Wing. Yeah, yeah. And he's got them all in his head. Mm-hmm. And it was a cool way of showing because, you know, if you're familiar enough with the mechanics of chess, you know that that's crazy hard to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so having this character do it and like not and do it almost effortlessly um, was a real way of kind of, I think, underscoring how intelligent that that character was. Yeah, we, I, we, let's uh, remember to put that show, that episode in the show notes because it is a really great example of using games in a really effective dramatic purposes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Hey, Mark here cutting in from the Nice Games Clubhouse edit suite uh, to do you one better from what I promised just a moment ago because um, it's so interesting. The episode that Ellen brought up uh, from the West Wing is called Hartsford Landing. It's a season three episode, and it is the episode that the West Wing cast has reunited to perform a stage reading of uh, this fall, uh, which is going to be, I think they already did the recording, and it's going to be put on HBO Max, I think it is, Uh, and it's also meant to be a get-out-the-vote drive uh, for the election coming up, um, which I heartily endorse the uh, aims of. So we'll put that in the show notes as well, so you can take a look at uh, not just the episode that we're referring to that's really relevant to this topic, but also something that happens to be really timely at the moment. So uh, interesting uh, aligning of the stars there. All right, back to the show. Well, yeah, so there are just so many, like Ready Player One, um, the Oasis, Oasis, the VR game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, you know, recently made into a movie, which is what I'm going to move on to next. Jumanji is another one. It was oh. a, a book, mm-hmm. that's right. a simple book about a game. That then got made into a movie and probably they made the game, um, which is kind of where I wanted to move into this as, you know, before we bring it back to game development is just kind of what we're seeing is like these very, it's like cross media franchises that either start or have a game involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Ender's Game was made into a movie. Uh, you know, the Harry Potter books were made into games, but then also Quidditch itself, which was a game from the books was made into a real game. Mm-hmm. Um, Ready Player One was made into a movie. Jumanji was made into a movie. And then there's this flip side where there are games that then have like comics and movies made about them. So like Warcraft, Halo, um, Final Fantasy, there oh, are sure. there are graphic novels and comics and actual novels um, and then also movies. Uh, so that's interesting how that has kind of there's like lots of cross pollination happening in both directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. Isn't it like there's always a conversation about like uh, asteroids got optioned or something, and oh. uh, there and and you always want to. F- it's always like little winks to an audience, like 
a game that's made into a movie isn't always uh, it's almost almost never about that game. But then there's always <laughs> these little hints at uh, like gameplay mechanics. It's kind of winks to the audience and they either they elicit either like, you know, uh, knowing winks or like uh, some groans in the audience. But like that's interesting that like really what those movies are taking is the the setting. They're not really taking the game. It's it's much the stuff around it. But then yeah. some but then sometimes they try to lean into what the gameplay elements in a yeah. way. Um what I would like to see from like video game movies is like they take the essence of the game and mm -hmm. put it in a movie form. I mean, it's easier said than done because like video games have they you know, they create different experiences than movies can just by nature of, you know, the interactivity. Mm -hmm. Um but um one movie I really like it's a video game movie is Prince of Persia the Sands of Time. Yeah. A lot of people didn't like that movie, but it's just it's just a real fun adventure movie. Just going on an adventure with uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh -huh. all the other people who are in that movie. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I should watch it. Again. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that movie is a pretty good. If you don't know that's from a game, you'd just be yeah. like, this is an interesting fantasy movie. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, it's one of those things like um, it's yeah, not a lot of people love it, but almost nobody hates it. Like mm -hmm. it's it's a solid movie. Um, but also it's based on this, the, the, that PlayStation two series of games that had lots of time travel mechanics and that's yeah. in the movie. And as it, yes. it forms a big part of it in a way that feels a little gamey, but not in a way mm -hmm. that's like winking to the audience. So yeah. that, that might be the best example. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm also reminded of, I, I, this might be beyond the scope of the topic, but I'm reminded of games that have like, or movies that have like game mechanics in them but aren't mm -hmm. based off of any games yeah so there's that one uh what's the name of that one movie uh uh shoot it's got tom cruise in it and emily blunt oh and, like tom cruise died yeah, no one knows the, the title of it because they kept changing it uh yeah, they kept oh, yeah. edge of tomorrow edge of so. tomorrow yeah. but edge it then tomorrow. was changed That's to live die repeat or mm -hmm. something yeah yeah well i think the original was called like something like that it's based on a graphic novel called all you need is kill Right. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the whole. It's very confusing. But <laughs> the um, what's interesting about that is it uses the idea that you, as the player, main character, or whatever, can like try something, fail, and then try it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know more about the world. You know the patterns of the guards, and yeah, yeah. Um, and that's on full display. And that's a movie that only works after a generation of people grew up playing video games. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, the yeah. like the Matrix being able to just instantly acquire a new skill. Yeah. The way that you do in a game. I mean, like you gain access to a new ability and then you have to practice with it. But it's the same thing that happens in the Matrix. Like I know Kung Fu. It's like, well, show me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Yes, you've unlocked the ability, Neo, but can you actually use it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, compare that to a movie like Groundhog Day, which has similar like magic things. That does not have video game language in it at all. Um, even right. though it's sort of similar to live, li uh, repeat or whatever that movie's called. Um, but it, it, it uses a different kind of lens to, for that kind of thing, even though, uh, mm -hmm. Bill Murray's character does, you know, l learn new skills and get, and knows where people are going and all the same things from other yeah. time loop movies, but it's framed much less in, in the, the, the language of games, the way that more modern, more recent ones have been because mm -hmm. yeah, there's more of that literacy is available in culture. Yeah. Yeah, but like I guess that's a it's like kind of a different topic because it's like movies using video games 
is supposed to. Ellen's topic is broad enough to to encompass this, I imagine. Wouldn't you say, Ellen? I I think so. And I did want to touch on that because I think, I mean, like like Mark was just saying, and I'm glad that you brought this up, Mark, because I think that's the underlying kind of thread through all of these different um, these different experiences in these that are classified as different media, even though they're very, they seem like more and more blended the more you look at them, mm-hmm. is that games literacy is more, it's broader than it ever has been in terms of who's who's got it, right? Like more people play video games now than ever have. Yeah. And that means that um, the language of games and the actions of games and mechanics are familiar to more people than ever before. And they can be used in different ways. But it's not it's not just like, you know, referencing a joke or a character. You have to reference and experience a structure and a feeling. And I think that makes it like a, diff- a different thing to kind of like reference and copy and move. Um, yeah. Then, you know, like being able to reference like a place or a character or like a joke from, you know, some from the office or something like that. It's it's harder to move like game mechanics from one medium to the other. Um but it's interesting. It's really interesting when it happens. So I'm curious to see, like, you know, as we talk more about examples, what, you know, if there are any emerging trends that we might uncover. Um, to that end, uh, I wanted to kind of take another another look at this overall topic, which is games depicted in cinema and TV as an element of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we talked about like how games can be depicted in literature as an element of the story and what the, what's yeah. purpose they serve there. We yeah. talked a little bit about like, you know, the episode of the West wing, good example. Right. Um, but a couple, I think three TV shows that are very, very, that, that use this a lot are, um, or relatively often, uh, star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and star Wars is, you know, now it's more, there are more TV shows and things like that. Um, yeah. but then also black mirror, Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um so Star Trek has like this long history of showing games um as like a part of the culture of the century and like the time that it's in but also different games for different alien cultures that they encounter and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um uh and Black Mirror I think uses games in a similar way where it depicts in a couple different episodes like Playtest 15 million merits was another one that was the biking one. Mm-hmm. Um they are using games as a you know way of looking at that particular aspect of the culture so yeah. I thought that was really interesting that those seem to have um kind of using games for the same purpose yeah, yeah yeah i have a bunch of star trek examples that can illustrate that point very well <laughs> if we have a couple of hours to go through them <laughs> why don't you have a couple th- of hours to go through star trek okay so uh, i'll i'll there's uh one uh, two, three. two examples i really like and okay. yeah i'll, I'll okay, throw in a yeah. third one but so um <laughs> Uh, people, uh, 3D chess, uh, there's this particular, the idea of 3D chess is like, you've seen that in a lot of places, but there's no official 3D chess game, um, official, but, um, in Star Trek, there's a particular shaped board that's called 3D chess. It has no rules. Um, people have developed rules for it, but there's no canonical rules for them. But in the very first episode of Star Trek, at least the first aired episode of Star Trek, um, you see Spock playing a 3D chess board. There was also 3D checkers, I believe in that same scene. But they didn't they didn't use that prop after that. So um, it's part of the history of Star Trek, the idea that you had these um, and it's important to Star Trek to have these things that feel part of an evolving world. So a lot of times and Star Trek doesn't do there's like like hoverball is a thing that exists and you have no idea what that is. Right. And there's these like made up games that you just imagine are part of this unseen culture that and that's true in lots of science fiction. 
But um, 3D chess is a really good one because it's this idea. That, and in fact, I don't think anyone even call, calls it 3D chess. Just that's what we call it as fans of Star Trek. I don't know that it has a, a specific name, but it says the idea that like this thing that was from the past gets taken to the future and not just that, but Vulcans play it because we are all together part of the United Federation of Planets. So, of course, a, a, a game from from Earth would make its way to Vulcan and somehow it got adapted and who knows who made it 3D or came up with those rules. But like it just becomes part of this thing that's a continuity of history, which a lot of science fiction doesn't always appreciate. And so I love that that use of 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 gameplay in there. Um, mm -hmm. The other re really good example that I quite like that's very core to the, an episode is a there's a season two episode of the Next Generation called Peak Performance, and it's about uh, a war games scenario. Um, but um, apart from that, there's a side story about the the strategic consultant that they bring on to to, uh, to conduct these these war games is supposedly a master of a game called Stratagema. And it's just like, he's the best there is. And, and the culture he's from is particularly good at this game. And, the, you know, but it's a game that's played on many planets. And there's a, you know, they go to Data and they say, Data, you're a super powerful computer. And like, you should challenge him to a game of Stratagema because, uh, you know, he's a little bit of a, of a, a, he's got his chest puffed and he's a little bit of a blowhard. Let's bring him down a notch. And so Data plays him and loses. And doesn't and he doesn't understand like how did I lose? And there's this like um, this great line from this episode that Picard tells him. He says it is possible to make no mistakes and still lose. And it's a game that taught him that, which is so interesting because it's the mm -hmm. simplest expression of a concept like that. And then at the end of the episode, he challenges to a rematch. But he, in this one, it's their toe for toe, uh, they go toe to toe. It's, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a dramatic, it goes on and on and on. It's a stalemate forever. And then eventually the, the, the expert player just gets frustrated and quits. And, and everyone says like, Data, you beat him. And he goes, I didn't technically beat him. And his goal, his goal was not to win. His goal was to uh, uh, extend a stalemate because he's an android and he could do it forever. And yeah. so, so it, it, it also shows like, well, how, like different play styles and how you approach a problem and how you can take the simple simulated scenarios of a game and you can learn life lessons from them. And so it's mm -hmm. a great, that's a great episode of Star Trek that uses the language of games. And of course, Stratagema itself is this hilarious looking uh, uh, video game thing with like little props on everybody's fingers and it makes clickety clack sounds. Um, it's not so <laughs> ridiculous that you can't take the story seriously, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> so that's a really good one. But yeah, but there's uh, <laughs> lots cool. of games in Star Trek have, have served that purpose. There's a Cardassian board game that is in, a, in an episode where a, a Cardassian character gets sort of in, uh, uh, um, he gets sort of infected and, and becomes kind of ruthless. This is Garrick from Deep Space Nine. And he 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 ends up uh, kind of menacing another one of the characters uh, in this sort of a cat and mouse scenario. And they're talking over comms and he, he's he's explaining this board game Katra to him. And he's like, I would love to play against you. You have a keen strategic mind. And it, it, it shows him sort of ha maintaining his intellect, but going emotionally crazy. And, yeah. and, and, and him still understanding and appreciating this like very strategic technical co concept is a way to communicate to the audience that he's not, that he still has his wits about him. And that makes him more scared, more frightening. And it uses a, 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 an example of, of, of a game to distill that. Star Trek's loaded mm -hmm. with stuff like this. It's really, really effective yeah. because it's a good storytelling technique. Mm -hmm. Those are my three examples, Stephen. I've eaten up all the time. I, I'm cutting I promise. You off. That. Yeah, yeah, we're cutting you off. I'm gonna have to throw uh, away this, these pages of notes I've prepared, but whatever. 
Well, you can maybe put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. The, there is a Scan list of games in Star Trek on Memory Alpha. We'll put that in the show notes. There is, yeah. There's actually extra, there's a Wikipedia article on it too. Oh, really? It's made it to Wikipedia? <laughs> yeah, I think it's made of course it to it Wikipedia. Has. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a lot on there. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to come back to that because there's there's interesting opportunities, I think, for game development in, in, the, in the works on all that. But mm-hmm. um, last couple things I wanted to mention was just like, there are now some more other types of media, and this is not new, but I think it may be starting to get new in terms of the um, the reach and the size of platform that it's getting to, uh, and that is other types of media pulling in technical capabilities of games to play with the experience. So, like Netflix oh. made that that movie thing called Bandersnatch. Mm-hmm. Isn't that um, a Black Mirror episode? But, it is. It is okay. a Black Mirror e- episode. I mean, it has to be because it's pretty bad if you want to call it a video game. <laughs> that's fair. It's bad if you want to call it a video game. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think it's still I think that's fair. I think it's still an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally didn't think it was that compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they may be like it just felt like they were felt like it just felt too clever. Like, Oh, look at this cool thing we're yeah. doing. It's like, you're not doing anything. I haven't already experienced for several hundred hours. <laughs> um, it's just it, on my TV. In my opinion, it, it reflected a complete misunderstanding of what video games are. Yeah. In, in a, and, and so I, I have a very low opinion of that. Yeah. But I, I am curious just because they missed the mark mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the opportunity to play in that space isn't there. Right. Um, but I agree with you that I think they missed the mark as to what would make a compelling interactive experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is a better example, though. OK, tell which me. Which is uh, uses the exact same technology on Netflix. It's very it plays the same way. It's the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie uh, that is mm. plays out as an interactive story. And it is. It works exactly the same as Bandersnatch. It has all the same tricks. Mm-hmm. It has just about as many interactive choices. It's it's basically a reskinned version of that game. And it's uh, other than it just being an enjoyable, but ap- apart from it being an enjoyable episode, if you like that series, it's a very successful expression of that form because of the way that the story handles those moments. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're if 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 you played Bandersnatch, you're like this is innovative, but I don't like it. Like you just because that's kind of what a lot of people thought because uh, you just couldn't mm-hmm. you just had to accept that it was new. Um, but if you want to see it done well, uh, Unbreakable, it's Kimmy versus the Reverend is the name of it. You can find that on Netflix. That's the thing, though, is that like it's not innovative. It's just a visual novel. Yeah, it is pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a really high budget one. Yep. To yep. be fair, I think visual novels in general are not um, as they're most like. Hmm. Careful. Triple A, triple A developers, generally speaking, aren't making visual novels. Right. <laughs> so. A lot of people haven't heard of visual novels. And so like it being on the Netflix service, I think makes it a more um it makes it more novel as a result, just because like it's a it's a more uh accessible version, I guess. Yeah, but the technology is not any innovative. more interesting than your standard visual novel. But I will say I mean, yeah. and it isn't just because it's made by Hollywood producers, but it does yeah. it is a different experience. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. it is not in any way technically more innovative. Like sure. It's in fact quite a bit more rudimentary than your yeah. average indie yeah. visual novel is. Um, yeah. But there is, uh, um, but it does have a, it is a different experience by way of it being an interactive movie versus mm-hmm. visual novels are usually uh, prose. And that is, that is different, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
There um, is a there are a couple of Star Trek examples that were produced in the nineties of of you got three you got your three I'll, use your budget all right <laughs> you just put that in the show notes Mark okay okay show notes um I, I I'm reminded of like um the something that like we, we maybe haven't talked about is like a lot of games have visual and audio and physical feedback like, you know, rumble on your controllers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that theaters were experimenting with that some. Um, like, there are some fancy seats that you can get mm-hmm. where, like, they have, like, um, speakers in behind your head. That, right. Like, mm-hmm. will or the seats shake. would rumble or whatever. Yeah, the, the seats would rumble. And Theme stuff. parks. And I'm reminded of, uh, yeah, and there's a, an old horror movie that I remember hearing about where, like, they had, I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to have to look this up. But like they had, um, I think like they had equipped all of these seats um, with like uh, like feeler things, and like the the main villain, the the, the evil Ugh. monster or whatever, was a centipede. So uh. like, <laughs> <laughs> so like um, I think what would happen is as you're watching the movie, the the like some of the seats would randomly like have the little crawly thingy behind you, so you would like feel it in it. Yeah, it made for a real uh, creepy experience, I think, for me. Nope. I'm going to have to find that and see if I can find that. But, like, yeah. Gold, nope. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned theaters, and you're, you're, you're referring to movie theaters, but um, yes. you actually reminded me of something that I didn't even think to put in this list, which is um, live theater. And oh, yeah. I know there's, when we don't have a pandemic on, Minnesota has an amazing Fringe Festival. And if mm-hmm. you're not familiar with Fringe Festivals, you should definitely look it up because it's a really cool way of getting like innovative um, artists to be able to create, you know, their own uh, stage plays and they get produced and they get put on and like there's this whole thing. And Minnesota's got a great one because I think it's totally lottery based, like totally wacky stuff gets on there. And it's always really cool to go experience it because I'd say, you know, most of it's cool to watch. Yeah. Um, and I think there have, there have been, I think there have been some, plays that uh like really leaned on audience participation in a mm-hmm. way that was game like right Cause audience participation in, in theater is not new it's yeah. part of part of theater mm-hmm. um but the the way that they had structured it um was very game like and mm-hmm. so it's another example of kind of this blending of media yeah yeah it's a weird idea but what about like stand-up comics um and like how they will often feed off of the energy of the audience, you know, to make their jokes mm-hmm. um, or will ask for like, they'll, you know, they'll ask the audience, where are you from? And then they'll make <laughs> fun of that place or something. Yeah, um, that's I mean, it is a bit interactive, right? It, it, the audience well, has an opportunity to interact with. with there audience. is, um, uh, I think, to fully realize that in the same way, like a visual or um, like an interactive movie or visual novel kind of mechanic, sure. uh, yeah. uh, improv. Uh, there's a lot of improv exercises that work this way. Yeah. Where um, the idea is, is that think of an improv person on a stage as a, as a, a, a method in a, in a program. And then the, the audience, whatever they give them, that's the argument that goes into the method and then you get a result. Right. And so it actually does have a kind of, I mean, that's a programming metaphor, but there's a lot of like sort of gameplay elements in the sense that like there, there's play with the audience, but also the results uh, are dependent on, activity right um sometimes uh there are like improv competitions where uh you know you actually uh, keep track it's like a game show format kind of so uh whose Mm -hmm. line is it anyway is a tv show that's based Mm -hmm. it is just improv comedy 
Um, mm. But it's it's uh, but it's the format where uh, points are awarded and it's all random and silly. But it yeah. is, it's, it's a gameplay framing. That's a that's an improv format that exists in theaters all over the place. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a way of like making it feel more like a game. Yeah. yeah it's that language of game stuff that sort of Ellen mm-hmm. is touching on with all these all these uh, parts of this topic. Yeah. Right. Well, and I know I don't want to take up all of our time talking about this and I I don't want to end. I don't want to wrap this topic up without bringing it back to game development. But to do that, um, just wanted, I guess, to say, like, we've listed a lot of examples. There are lots of things we didn't even talk about, like game shows. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I think in listing all these and kind of talking about the different facets of what the experiences are like, what I I think what I think this is really comes back down to that game, that games literacy piece that you're talking about, Mark. It's not just about like. Yeah, we understand the idea of spinning a circle and go, getting something random, mm-hmm. like has been that that kind of thing that's been on game shows for a while. Um, but it's as we have more different types of games and those different types of mechanics become more widespread across different um, different platforms and different consoles and so on and so forth. Like that, the literacy, the game's literacy spreads and allows us to create more things that I think blend some of these different elements, these different mediums um, to make stuff that's really interesting. So I just kind of wanted to end on like, where do you see, like, how is this an opportunity for game developers? Like how, how would we think about this as game developers to kind of like open up some of our, maybe open up some new doors for us creatively? Yeah. I, I would think, um, uh, to bring it back to my Star Trek example, haha, sorry, Stephen. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you are, if you, uh, this is just, this is for me, is this episode of Star Trek. Um, if it's a successful story, right? It's, its yeah. goal was to tell this story about these people in this scenario. And it used the, the language of games and the understanding of, of games as a little mini, you know, like war games, literally, right? Um, mm-hmm. To successfully depict or uh, communicate its message. And so if you find something like that for you, where you're watching a film or you're reading a book and there's gameplay elements, either as part of the fiction or as part of the structure of the story or something that you feel has done a good job, then think about that and think about that when you're just making your own games. Um, Like the reason gameplay exists, not merely for its own sake. In the case of these films and, and pieces of fiction, they exist in those spaces to do the job of what that piece of work is doing, which is to tell the story, to communicate a message, to provide an emotional moment, to give you a reaction. Your game should do that too. And that doesn't mean that your game needs to have a lot of heavy uh, narrative elements or anything like that, the way that these other examples might. But that's, I think, what we can learn from this, is that as the sort of the value of and purpose of interactivity in service of whatever it is you need it to be in service of. And and uh, this is just my philosophy as a game developer, but that's always more than just it's a fun game. That could be mm-hmm. the that could be the majority outcome of your experience. That could be what you're aiming for, in in a sense. But you're not even going to get that if you don't build something to elicit a feeling, or tell a story, or reveal a truth, or ask a question. And yeah. th- and so if you find yourself seeing a game in a piece of media uh, that does that well. That's that's something to emulate uh, and something to mm-hmm. to interrogate in your own work. Yeah, and it's actually I, I like that you brought that up because like I think that the way games are depicted in other media, they oftentimes don't explain how the game works. Right, they're not, not they're not enough. complete systems, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. they don't yeah. need to be right because there's, the the point of it is to help 
is to tell to help tell the story. Um, yeah. And it's not so that you're designing a game in addition to making a new episode of a TV show. Or mm-hmm. um, Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, so, like, you can, I mean, I, uh, I hesitate to say this, maybe, but, like, you can take some of that experience and think about it, too, in that, like, if you're telling a story in your video game, you don't necessarily have to explain all of the details of specific systems in your game um, to tell that story. Uh, and by systems, I mean not like not like literally what the actions that the player can mm-hmm. do, because like you should probably tell the player what they can do in your game. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but like I, I'm talking about like all of the underlying systems around the game. So like maybe some of the 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 background of like what your characters are doing, or mm-hmm. the location of the game, uh, yeah. or um, or maybe like the reasons as to why these mechanics exist, or why you have to do these things. You don't necessarily have to explain all those things as long as that narrative that that arc the the emotion is expressed to the player and they understand that innately mm-hmm. somehow you got to figure that out through playtesting um you can get you can get the essence of that in your game yeah mm-hmm. but also steven you made me think you really hit on something else too which is the inverse of what i was talking about which is you yeah. can make a game that has a really robust system and has a story yeah. and the yeah. story is there to help elevate the the gameplay systems but you mm-hmm. don't have to just like a just like in just like I have n- I'll never know how to play Stratagema because there's uh-huh. not enough information to give me a working system there. Um, right. But that's OK, because that wasn't the point of that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But likewise, you can tell a story in your game and you don't have to tell the whole story. You yeah. can you can imply a story and use gameplay systems. It's it's a way to bring anything into anything else. Right. It's yeah. what what is the mm-hmm. what, what are you making and what tools can you use to help you? achieve the goal you're, you're after yeah totally. and uh my final addition to that is um around stratagema am i pronouncing that right stratagema stratagema, stratagema. okay thank you yeah. um Kolrami would be very disappointed in you well <laughs> grandmaster Kolrami. <laughs> it sounds like he would be for lots of different reasons frankly <laughs> um but you know maybe not maybe someday you will because like that one of the interesting things um, that I've noticed here is like games that or uh, media that mention games or have games as a significant feature. It's now like because there are so many indie developers out there, mm. they're also that's also a resource for authors and producers and other creators of other media to bring in, you know, experts um, yes, to make yes. something and fill it out. So if you think of like, OK, maybe if. Yeah. Anyway, if Bandersnatch maybe felt more like a game, it would have maybe been a little bit more successful. I don't know. But um, one example that is being teased is uh, the Nine Kings game that I mentioned at the very beginning of this segment. Um, So Brent Weeks, the author, has teased the idea that they're actually making Nine Kings, Mm -hmm. which was the game that he introduced just in the book. And. Yeah, so that'd be really that's interesting. Yeah, um, that's cool. and I'm excited and it, to it, see what, what comes of that. We talked about design pillars on the show in a previous topic, and we talk about it a lot generally. But when you have mm-hmm. a, a a game that comes from a piece of fiction, it comes prepackaged with a design pillar, which is yeah. a, which is the 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 purpose it served in those in those fictional worlds. That is yeah. that can be kind of like it can be guiding, but it can also be restrictive. Yeah. Uh, oh, a super fascinating challenge. I mean, we talk about licensed games, same problem. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow, lots to think about. Yeah, maybe that'll have to be the next uh, 
some future version of a nice games jam. Just make a fiction. Oh, that's a great idea. I love it. <laughs> make Dabo. Yeah. <laughs> Human play Dom Jot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I understood that reference. <laughs> Hey, you. Me? Me? Yeah, you listening. You listening. You. Oh, not, not us, Ellen. Oh, no, okay. No, 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 no. The other ones. Y'all y'all don't listen to me. It's the other people. <laughs> I'll carry on then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've got some feedback. Give us feedback. That's the feedback. Give us more feedback through our feedback form. Steven, let's say that I am you in this example. And I mean the you sure, you yeah. pointed at earlier. Not me who oh, I yeah. thought it was. Or you, the I'm person so I'm talking to, but the yes. you you mentioned at the beginning of this when you said, hey, you. I don't understand. Yeah, right, yeah. Can you grab me so, a graph? So let's just imagine that, if you can. Uh-huh. How might you, or me in this scenario, being the person you said, hey, you to earlier at the top of this, <laughs> yeah. provide that feedback to you, who now I'm referring to is you, in fact, Stephen? Ah, yes, you, the listener, can provide you, the me, nicegames.club slash feedback. By using nicegames.club slash feedback. Yep, that tracks, I think. <laughs> Ellen, does that make sense? <laughs> Maybe I'll just email you. Okay. No, no, use nicegames.club slash feedback. <laughs> Please give us feedback. We'd really appreciate it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We were talking about how we've been playing games together online through this pandemic, and I wanted to talk about online play as a topic hmm. uh, because I don't know, it's cool. Some, online play something we do now. Something we do. <laughs> yeah, you're really selling me on this topic, Stephen. <laughs> I mean, we all we're all playing games online, and yes. like people have been playing games online for years. So, mm-hmm. and it's something we haven't explicitly talked about, even though I released a game that you can play online. Um, yeah, part of so, I mean, as indies, it's not something we get to touch that much. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Online games are very difficult to make. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, but you have the experience. Sense. I, I, I do. I mean, I wasn't the person who like created the like the systems that does the online stuff, but like I, I managed it and I poked at it some to try to get some <laughs> stuff to work. So like, I have a, I have an idea. I could figure it out if like I got paid to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, not right now, not for like my future games. Um, but yeah, I guess I want to talk about like the difference between like online play and offline play. Um, and like, uh, like w- what, what kinds of things as a developer you want to think about, um, when you're making an online game. Um, and so like when, when you're like, like 
the obvious difference between offline and online play is when you're playing with somebody in an offline situation, you're playing with them in person. So if they do something that you don't like, you have the ability to do something about it. Um, you know, like, I don't know, punch them on the shoulder or something. <laughs> Say, hey, stop that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or if you're not playing your brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> like... <laughs> Other things. Yeah, or be kind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Say something witty. Yeah. Um, so uh in order for like in order for people online to the people in an online game to interact with one another, they need to have some form of system to mm-hmm. do so. You have to put that system in yourself, or they have to find an alt an outside source. Uh we've been playing our games online through Discord, but there mm-hmm. are a lot of games uh, that are online that have like voice chat or text chat, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah like that, that i think though i think other than like the the actual framework to make an online game which i'm not going to go into detail on here because like i don't fully understand it and it's very complicated and like there are tutorials you could look at that are better that would detail it better than i would in yep. this moment um but um yeah i want to talk about like those kinds of things those kinds of thoughts you'd have to you want to consider when you're making an online game because like i think they're important and they help you as the player create an online experience that other people would want to play and, you know, and um, participate in. Yeah. Um, so I guess one thing like, I wanted to ask y'all is like, what kinds of games do you think work best in an online environment or things that like, what kind of games um, have hmm. been fun in an online environment for you? Hmm. Well, that's tough. Well, we, we were talking. <laughs> on the spot. I mean, we talked about how we we play Civ together on the weekends, and I was saying mm-hmm. before we started recording how that doesn't feel like an online game to me because it feels yeah. more like a tabletop game because we are we're all in voice chat and we're all making small talk or table talk, and mm-hmm. even though the game itself wouldn't work as a board game, so maybe it's because I don't have a ton of experience with online games that I don't consider that an online experience as much, at least the way we play it. Sure. So I think that puts me at a disadvantage because I'm having like a really weird approach to what I even consider online play at all. So knowing what would be good or bad for it, because I don't know how well, enjoyable think, Civ would be if we weren't all talking with each other. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's an argument to be made that the turn based 4X gameplay of Civ leaves you a lot of enough downtime to, you know, to engage in other forms of yeah. another talk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas another game, like if you were to play. Uh, League of Legends, you don't really have enough, you don't have great opportunities to like Mm-mm. involve that small talk thing right. like that. Um, so, I mean, that's, there's an argument to be made that like turn based online play um, provides you with an experience that allows you to, you know, just do small talk stuff like you would in a board game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the turn based element is, does feel, make, I think just the turn based element does make it feel a lot more like a board game, right? I'm trying to yeah. think of board game. I'm sure there are tabletop games where you're all maybe working simultaneously, but then like you are acting, you are taking an action in a shared space on a turn by turn basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and those do, I mean, that, that is what Civ feels like. Um, since the pandemic started, I played a lot more board, you know, tabletop games online mm-hmm. and it does feel very similar. Um, you're pointing and clicking and you're panning around the board and you're, rotating looking at things in different ways and you're pulling up side menus to reference things and you've got the rules or your guides over on the right hand side document telling you like 
this is what you should do with your sack of horse archers and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that that is Civ. And that's also a lot of the if you're taking tabletop games, it, it feels exactly the same way if you're taking those tabletop games and you're playing them on like Tabletopia or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I think like that what what might feel more like an online game to you, Mark, at least the way that you're talking about it is if there's this if it's fully synchronous. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's it's a different type of it's a different type of rules, right? There's different mechanics involved, which, of course, is getting back to what Stephen was saying. Why, like, you don't want to get into the technical aspects of it because it's so specific based on the game. Yeah, I yeah. imagine. But that mm-hmm. that does seem like one of the first, you know, the first if you're kind of thinking about this as like a map, a concept map of the different choices and dynamics you have to explore with different types of games. If you're putting on them online, one of the first points of diversions you're going to get to is is it synchronous? Or is it turn-based? Yeah. yeah. But uh, although, ironically, you've kind of, you've stumbled into what I might consider makes for a good online game, which is mm-hmm. a board game like Civ, if that's what, how we're describing it, but is so complicated that you wouldn't want to manage with fiddly pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So think of a game like Star Trek Ascendancy, which we've played, which is a very fiddly 4X game, but is actually quite light compared to other 4X games, board games. But, Dang, it is. Uh, <laughs> but if you describe Civ like a 4X board game, it would be absolutely insufferable for dozens of reasons. Um, yeah. And so it it is suitable like that. Exp- like a 4X board game is suitable mm-hmm. to be online and it allows for more depth and complication. And it allows for some rule systems to be discarded because their existence is predicated on that um, that in-person-ness to it. Um, but I think Ellen, ultimately you are right. Is that, uh, my feelings of it, you know, my first impression of it doesn't feel online. So I'm not sure how valid a feeling that is, but yeah, it's about synchronicity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, on the other end of the spectrum, we're talking about like action games, MMOs, um, fighting games, things like that, where like you are competing against, uh, one another or competing against some AI in a server. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that when people think of online games, I think you're right, Mark. Like people think of these kinds of games, um, and so synchronous like, games. Yeah, synchronous games, synchronous games, actiony games, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not turn based, right? Um, mm-hmm. And but I, I mean, I think those are much more difficult to, um, in, in terms of coding, it's much more difficult to build these kinds of games versus turn based ones because, like, they are. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you just like when somebody takes their turn, you do the thing. And then you send mm-hmm. them that information in a in an online environment. There's a bunch of things you got to consider, like um, the latency of one competitor versus another competitor, or um, if you did a thing and then somebody else does a thing and then it goes into the server. Does that go at different times at the same time? How does the server handle that information and send it back to the players? Because the players need to get that information back too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All those kinds of things you gotta you gotta consider those kinds of things, and it makes that it makes the experience much more difficult to um, support. Yeah. But yeah, but like, I mean, everybody's, you know, tons of people are playing MMOs, tons of people are playing fighting games online yeah, um, and stuff now. So um, there's an audience for it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's interesting you, you use like, uh, like an online shooter versus an MMO. Like yeah. the, the, um, the uh, uh, authentication of what happened this millisecond is, mm-hmm. is important in a yeah. online shooter and it's not important in an MMO. 
That's true. Uh, MMOs are kind of turn-based in the sense that you you send commands and then the game resolves them whenever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in yeah, terms okay. of the gameplay, I mean it yeah. is it is a real time experience, but yeah. it, it's uh it's not it's not critically real time, right? So yeah. like a shooter will have something where if someone is moving but there's a bit of a delay, um, if I'm if I'm their opponent, then I'm disadvantaged by that person's laggy internet because I'm going to shoot at where the computer last thinks they are, but they're actually a yeah. little bit ahead. So games account for that technically by predicting where players are going to move. And then once they find out where they actually did move, make little adjustments uh, if necessary yep. to try to compensate for those sorts of things. And so the technical hurdles are enormous. And the, it's interesting like to take a game that was not designed to be online and put it online because then you have to account for all those things. Yep. But it's, it is also interesting to think of a game that's designed to be online. Yeah. And designed design to maybe avoid some of those troubles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say when you're developing an online game is if your plan is to develop an online game, you want to do that from 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 jump because mm -hmm. like um, it makes it a lot more difficult to implement these online systems out of, uh, after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. It has implications for every, everything. Yeah. Like your core mechanics. Yes. Yeah, everything. Um, everything gets changed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, Mark, you're totally right about that. Mm -hmm. um, um, but now, <laughs> but now I think we're getting into the technical stuff again, and, and you know, yeah, yeah, it's too much. Um, <laughs> one, one thing I do want to talk about that I mean, I guess you'd have to implement, and it's kind of technical, but whatever, is that like, the, like you have to consider how people communicate in the games, um, mm -hmm. and I'm not just like adding voice chat or adding text chat or things like that. You got to make sure that you have to make sure that like everyone has the opportunity to play your game and feels comfortable in the environment. Because like I said, the difference between an online play and an offline play is that in an offline environment, that person has their own agency. They are human in the, in the meat space within mm -hmm. this other person. So like they can um, theoretically do something if like, you know, you're uh, being rude or mean or unsportsman like, or whatever. Um, Whereas, like in an online session, you don't that that response the responsibility of that is on the developer to put that functionality in. They yeah, have the, they have the agency to um to do something if you know things go south. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I think it's important to make sure your online game has, if it has some form of communication, um, then it should you should make sure that like you can report users that are abusing that form of communication, um. Like, because I think that I, I think a lot of like most games, if they're online, have that kind of functionality. But I think there are a lot of times, even now, where games are coming out and they don't have that functionality, and then like people are just dead in the water. If um, I don't know, somebody stole all, hacked your systems and stole yeah. all of your loot or whatever. Or um, what what I I think is a problem is that games will try to resolve like they'll allow you to. Uh, a voice chat is optional or you can report yeah. certain users like there's yeah. things systems in place but ultimately they put the burden on the aggrieved party yeah um to okay. do the do the actual management of the system to keep mm -hmm. it uh robust so yeah. this is very common um uh, with you know with uh, um harassing women online which is that you know there are tools with which to fight that harassment but like yeah. it seems really oppressive by nature to give to ask a player to also be in charge of that you know right 
the player who's having mm-hmm. the worst experience to have an additional, you know, task. Yeah. Yeah. Easier just to disconnect. Yeah, they're also responsible for leveraging those tools, for understanding those tools, for yeah. following up, for, you know, and that just seems difficult. And and I think a lot of developers just look at the logic of it and they say, well, what could we possibly do? Have somebody keeping an eye on every match out there? And it's like, well, yes, that's impractical, but that would yeah. be a way mm-hmm. to solve it. And I think it's it's very easy to say, well, it seems like it's if we were to actually take this seriously, then it would it would be too hard a challenge. So we're just not going to take it seriously. And I think that's usually what happens. Right. I mean, also, th- they'll pour millions into anti-cheat methods, like, yeah, th- you know, but not into, uh, like, robust moderation systems. But also, like, you know, there's a server that is looking at literally everything anybody does. Yeah. So, like, they have the technology. They, I mean, I I think that, like, uh, some online games, like, do, like, have people whose job it is to just look at chat logs and see, oh, mm. this person uh, okay. said the N-word or whatever, and they kick them. Um, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree though, Mark, in that, like, I don't, I, there should be more on, there should be more things developed in the game to prevent that kind of stuff from happening in the first place. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I think it is a comp, it is a difficult problem to solve because like, this isn't something that we've solved in our, in offline, in offline space. That's true. Either, That's true. Right? Like, I guess the point I'm um, making is that it, um, it being a hard challenge, but it's also it should be the bare minimum to operate it, operate these systems to actually implement these things. It seems like weird that we approach it by let's build a rickety uh, building and then maybe we'll prop it up. It just seems yeah. like like, yes, it means you can't build that building until you figure out this problem. But yeah. because we're letting people I'm going to continue this metaphor. We're letting people build all these buildings that are not up to code. And then uh-huh. and then praying they realize that that's a bad experience for the building's occupants and that they yeah. spruce it up in the meantime. Like, it seems like what we should really be doing is just not letting people build buildings that are at risk of crumbling. And uh, unless they figure and then then maybe the industry will figure it out. Like, yeah, I don't know. We, I, My metaphor we is too deep to, to be actionable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, sure. I have but, to be I have to be fair also, um, yeah. because also, I mean, Truth is, is there are people who are educating themselves on the need for these sorts of things. And it's a little bit their fault that they didn't know. But mm-hmm. it's like a lot of people are learning these things for the first time in a in a in a system where we've been, we've been allowed to make these games without these systems or without systems that are robust enough for decades. Yeah. So yeah. I understand that it's it's not, e- not easy to undo that impression of how these things are put together. But it seems like yeah. we should not be accepting if, if that this is even possible. You know? Well, I, I mean, and that's why I want to bring it up because yeah. I, I think that it's, we, 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 as the industry, we should start, we should be considering these things. Not start because we've been doing it, but we need to. Yeah, do more there have been efforts it, for certain. People are trying. Yeah, yeah. they are trying. Uh, um, one way that like I applaud Riot Games, but I don't think they've done the best job of is, is like they've been trying to incentivize positive actions in games instead yeah. of, um, you know, disincentivizing ne- negative actions. That's had some success, but I don't know. I it feels. I don't know how much that helps because League of Legends mm-hmm. still has a um, a lot of people consider it to have a not a toxic fan base, I guess. Yeah. Um. Or the uh, community. Mm-hmm. Um. What well, goes yeah, back to so, your, that really illustrates how it goes back to, uh, the, your game design is mm-hmm. are you building yeah. a game where players would be motivated to behave in this way or that way. Um, rather yeah. than just accounting for it when it happens. And that's 
Yeah. Man, you need that's a, that's a psychology question. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose one way to like go about this is to just prevent people from communicating between one another in the first place, right? Um if your if your game can sustain that. Yeah. Uh that's yeah, can you do I mean, yes, and that actually and I don't know if we want to spend too much time on like communication, although it's really important. Yeah. But even if your game doesn't allow players to communicate, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't find other ways to do it. Yeah, right, they can right. still abuse things. Gr- griefing is a whole it's a whole skill set, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole yeah. skill set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as indie developers, we're like, oh man, net code is hard, but it's the least mm-hmm. difficult part of the process, frankly. Yeah. Right. And it and yeah. I think once we understand that. Um, yeah. then, then, yeah, then maybe we can start looking for solutions, which is, I mean, I, I'm making this into a real downer topic, but there've been people who've done a pretty good job at, at yeah. making interesting and really, uh, interesting ways to develop online systems that are innovative and also, uh, not offensive in the ways we've been, uh, upset by other, uh, games that can develop toxic communities. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, another form, uh, the, another thing you need to consider when you're making your online game is how many people are available in your session um, because like that adds up like it makes the games more complicated for the server to handle and all of that information has to get disseminated to all of the people within this instance of the game um so like yeah keep in mind uh if as your game going to have four people per session four people per, or 10 people per session 60 people 300 because like that's a thing now um <laughs> i think i don't know uh <laughs> Like that, like oh, those those kinds of things, and also like like the mechanics behind that, you have to consider um, how all of these people are interacting with one another. Like, if there's 300 people, can 299 of those people gang up on one person? Yeah, that yeah, possible. That'd be mm-hmm. an interesting. Game. And are those interactions um, like interesting to those players, or is it just the gee whiz? We got 300 people on a server. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, sometimes that like that. Sometimes that is the novelty of it is like the game just supports a ton of people, and like that's what's interesting about it. And like, arguably, there's a space for that kind of experimentation. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of room in that so, design space because there's not a lot of examples. So yeah, you can you can totally. come up with lots of interesting ways to use 300 people. I mean, you, I mean, you you can try. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That like that would be. Uh, that, yeah, that was, but it is a challenge, like to mm-hmm. just even support that many people. So just like some, that's something to consider. Um, monetization and servers upkeep, those mm-hmm. kinds of things, because like uh, it is depending on how many people are playing your game at any given moment, it can be expensive to mm-hmm. support all of those people. Uh, and so you either need to be made of money and just be able to throw money at the problem, yeah. or <laughs> or you need to find some method to earn money through the game so that you can support the system so that people keep playing it. Right. Um, and players are not going to understand your maintenance costs. Yeah. And so you're going to have to convince them it's worth that like they have, they're getting your game. They have to pay to keep the servers up. Players yeah. don't understand that as, as a purchase. They don't understand. Yeah. It. Mm-hmm. And so you, yeah. there's, it's a, it's a communications issue, like a PR issue as well. Right. Right, and I don't want to bring the forbidden topic into this uh, this <laughs> <laughs> conversation, but um, uh, it's because servers are constant upkeep. You have to consider um, you either making revenue. sure that there are, yeah, you got to make sure that yeah. either you're uh, getting more new people to play the game and buy the game regularly, or consider you know uh, implementing content that people can pay for 
um, as the game goes on. Yep. Um, or subscriptions, but that's not in vogue any longer. So. Or subscriptions. I always forget subscriptions. I think that's because no one does it anymore. It's <laughs> yeah, not, it's not a it's not a not a viable market strategy. It's just the mm-hmm. one that's least ethically fraught. But we don't have to get into that again. That'll be another topic. Yeah. For another yep. episode. Yeah, that's uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess like uh, one. So like one thing I wanted to bring up in terms of like um, making an online game as an indie developer is like there are some tools that make it easier. Um, Unity has its own um, online play surface. Um, so if you wanted to use that, you could do that mm-hmm. uh, if you're using Unity. Um, and that's an API, but also a backend that you would pay Unity for. Yeah, right? I think once you get to a certain points, there are a certain uh, number of players, regular players, then yeah. You have right. It's a, it's early. it's close to free or 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 free if you have a small uh, small demands. Yeah. And I think most of these like online API things um, would be close to free if you're only if you're not planning on having a large audience at a mm. regular time uh, and you know if, uh, while people are playing it um yeah. when we yeah so with treasure stack uh, which was an online game we used photon um that um uh, and like that i mean that worked for us because like we had some of the uh we we, we had some we had some online game gameplay and some online functionality from previous games that we like kind of made it work for treasure stack yeah um, so like you could yeah think about that um for your game too just make sure mm-hmm. uh just to consider all those different surfaces I, I i'm not familiar with the, the differences in in the surfaces but like yeah it is um, they all they all seem to have some many of them seem to have some specific limitation that is that that you are that you go in knowing right so unity's yeah. setup will work for any unity game but only for unity games although right. actually yeah. now that, now that i say that out loud i think unity might have announced its availability for anybody um, oh. but I don't yeah. quote me on that. Um, but, um, uh, photon, I think is truly cross-platform altogether. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Treasure stack works on, like you can play with anybody, um, on switch, steam and Xbox. Yeah. Um, uh, steam has its own, own service. Now it's relatively new, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. and that covers a lot of, uh, people's, uh, a lot of, uh, developer audiences because many of them don't ex- ex- intend to publish anywhere, but steam. Um, and then all the console makers have their own uh, systems that are actually quite accessible and 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 uh, and have no cost, but they're extremely limited because they're only yeah. for those mm-hmm. console players. And uh, we we now live in a world where that's not uh, players don't like that. But also, if you're making a small indie game, it's hard to you don't want to segment your small audience. That that makes it mm-hmm. exponentially more difficult to to grow your player Def- base. Definitely does mm-hmm. know that firsthand. Uh, yeah. Um, are there any other design considerations that I didn't put in the, the notes <laughs> that y'all want to bring up? Um, I think you did a good job of like of like the big overview, which, which is like, yeah, because it's one of those topics that I think indie developers are like, yeah, yeah, I know it's tough. I know. But maybe I'll one day I'll look into it. And mm-hmm. this is a great you've given them a great place to start. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of considerations involved. Um, but just like with everything else, uh, you want to make sure you think about it before you just implement it. You don't want to just right. put it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you want to yeah. yeah, go through the motions and do the homework first before you decide to spend all of this time um, putting yeah. in online play because it can add a year or def- at least a year um, to your development time, honestly. Yeah. You're yeah. Working on it, so. 
And, you know, a common reaction is to be scared off of it immediately. But uh, look into it before you totally write it off. It yeah. is it is scary. And yeah. you let's say you're probably not going to go that route. But like, know why you're not. Don't yeah. just don't just <laughs> be scared of it. Yeah and, it, yeah. and it can open up the game to a whole new audience. Yeah. Would not be able to play it otherwise. He could. I think one thing we didn't really dig into very deeply, which I think is worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, is just, you know, recognize that when you're putting something online, you are kind of amplifying some of the, I think maybe amplifying is the right word, amplifying some of the dynamics of the um, of di like differences in play style hmm. that wouldn't necessarily happen if you're just playing around the couch. So if you're playing, um, if you're playing a cooperative or a competitive game on the couch, you mm -hmm. know the people that you're with because they're in the same space as you. And so um, right now they're part of your household, hopefully. <laughs> um, but yeah. in non-pandemic times, you know, like they're still in your home or you're in their home. So, you know, each other. Right. And even if you have drastically different play styles, like you might be able to navigate that, or you hope that you will be able to navigate like that. Yeah. That's what we're experiencing in Civ, right? Like, it's just not my jam, mm -hmm. um, but I'm still having fun because I'm hanging out with my friends. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're putting the game online and then allowing strangers to play with each other, those differences in play styles are going to be the one of the first things they run into. Yeah. Um, so think, you know, you want to think that makes you have to think carefully about how you're going to manage that um, or whether you want to, maybe you don't want to have this type of player in this type of game. In that case, how are you going to make sure you market it so that that's clear? Yeah. Ellen, that's a really, really important insight because mm -hmm. you think about like playing Goldeneye with your friends and you all agree, <laughs> no sla <laughs> slappers only or whatever. Whatever yeah. the tool set is, and then you develop uh -huh. that. That becomes the the what's enjoyable to you. Or Stephen, when we're playing Civ together, and I've just taken your your second to last city. Uh, <laughs> Why did you put that in this? <laughs> it came up naturally. <laughs> okay. And I could easily go and take your capital. And uh -huh. if I, if you were a stranger online, I'd have no compunction. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to put you. Uh, out of a state house, so yeah. Uh, Thank you. You're so generous, Mark. <laughs> well, you gave me no other choice, so. <laughs> yep. I'm telling you, Stephen. I think you started it. <laughs> I what? Oh, great! Well, now everybody <laughs> thinks that. <laughs> Everyone who think we can put it on Twitter, I'll make it a poll. Everyone who thinks Mark started it versus Stephen. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, if we did that, we would have to give everybody all the information, and I don't know if you want that. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's not great on my side, regardless, really. <sighs> but just, that's an important thing. thing. That's part of why it didn't feel like an online game is because not yeah. just playing with friends, but like that is, but that is a big part of it. Um, mm -hmm. And it does. Uh, Ellen, Ellen is really hit on that. Yeah, yeah, it does. It changes that name, so that's something to keep in mind mm -hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, I like that. That's a good point. All right, that's our show. Uh, check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to the uh, resources on today's topics. If you liked this episode, give us a review in your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at nicegamesclub where Dale tweets about game dev resources and staring into the abyss, it's more fun than it sounds. I should read these ahead of time. Staring into the abyss. Uh, <laughs> you can also email us, contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to 
Play nice. And make nice. I was a little worried about that when I was reading. I'm like, we're being really aggro here. <laughs> and then, yeah, then my too. brain disconnected from itself when Mark started talking. That's a common side effect of me. And talking. it came back together at the end. <laughs> now we're all dancing. So for Mark's not dancing. Mark. What? Um, okay. I'm a square. I'm not allowed to dance. Yeah. Fine. All right. <laughs> He's the guy in the corner. <laughs> <laughs>